you said that, Gary. I was hoping you would. Good morning, everyone. It's an honor to be able to speak this morning. And Have you noticed something different up here? How many of you have noticed something different? I hope you've noticed that I'm not standing behind a music stand. <laughs> the only time I was behind a music stand was when I played the trumpet. And I told Scott, I said, let's move this lectern back up here because I, I feel more secure behind it. In 11 days, I'll turn 86. I used to think that old age was 15 years older than I was, but I can't do that anymore. If that sounds old to you, it's because it is. Inside every old person is a young person wondering what the heck has happened here. It's the most unexpected things that uh, can occur to a person. And I keep telling myself that growing old is a privilege denied to many people. And also it's a necessity to help one reach more maturity. But it's still fraught with challenges and with aches and pains. And Russ read this context, which is Job's rhetorical question to us. Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? A rhetorical question means that the answer should be yes. Well, it should at any rate. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Wisdom doesn't always come with age. Sometimes age just shows up and wisdom is nowhere around. Wisdom is our reward if we survive our own stupidity. And by God's grace, I've been able to survive my stupidity. I've been incredibly blessed in my life in so many ways with godly parents, loving grandparents, a fantastic brother, and a wife unsurpassed in every attribute a man could ask for. We're now blessed with three daughters, seven grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren. We've also been enriched and blessed beyond words with this Gateway family since we've been here some 18 years. And I'm honored to serve as one of your shepherds along with some of the most dedicated and spiritual and godly men I've ever known. And we are blessed in this congregation. And I've had the privilege to work with one of the most gifted preachers I have ever known. And I hope and pray that we will never take John and Amy for granted. They accomplish things that very few ministers have ever been able to accomplish. His dedication his sense of propriety, his wisdom, is a tremendous blessing to us. So I sincerely thank you for your prayers and the love and the encouragement that you have given us through the years. And this morning I want to share with you some of my experiences, some of the things I've learned on my journey, and hopefully you will hear something that will help you on yours. There's a difference between learning something, that's knowledge, and then wisdom, which is applying that knowledge. 
Jesus said, if you know these things, then blessed are you if you do them. Well, no matter how hard I've tried and how far I have jumped, I have always, always fallen short. And I'm very aware of that. Anyway, this morning, metaphorically speaking, I'm going to let down my hair. You remember Joan Rivers, the, the comedian? She always began her set by saying, can we talk? Can we talk? Well, that's what I want to do this morning. I'm not going to be preaching. I'm just going to talk. Just talk. Life is a challenging journey. The greatest gift that we can ever even begin to imagine. The journey of growing and of learning. Job said, long life brings wisdom and understanding. And that was God's design, the purpose for it. Traveling the road of life will be an experience where the road is sometimes paved and sometimes it's unpaved. Sometimes it'll be rocky. Sometimes it'll be smooth. Sometimes it'll have potholes and ditches. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes detours and dead ends. But God has not left us without a road map. We just need to use it to negotiate this perilous journey that we're all on. We need to use the directions that God has given us. He's provided the compass of our conscience, the guidance of His Word, the moral imperative of what is right and what is wrong. When I was in middle school, Junior high school, we called it back then, seventh grade. I had a friend and he had this little pendant. And it had on, the, on it these words, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. And I wanted that little pendant, so I bought it from him. And I carried it with me. Until the letters were worn off of it. That's the first scripture that I ever memorized. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. God has not left us orphans in the universe, like some abandoned spaceship spinning randomly through the universe without any meaning or purpose. He has provided an orbit for your life, for every life that comes into this world. And when we stay within the orbit that God has determined us to be in, we'll find security and joy and happiness in no other way. An orbit for our life, He's given us light for our path, instructions for our guidance, awareness whenever we depart from that path in the form of guilt and remorse. He's revealed truth to us to help us in the decision-making process when we come to the crossroads of life. He helps us to make growth decisions. One passage of Scripture I hope you will remember is in Isaiah 48 and verse 17. God said to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. Who directs you in the way that you should go. If only you will pay attention to my instructions, your peace will be like a river. 
your righteousness as the waves of the sea. Don't ever forget that. If only. That's the biggest if only in all literature because it comes from God Himself. If only you pay attention. We need the tools to help us on our journey. One of the great tools is a tool of discipline. So one of the things I've learned first of all in life is the importance of self-control. I have seen lives ruined, misery multiplied by the one who lacks self-control. Acts of revenge, revenge, retaliation, health-destroying addictions, alienation from loved ones, sexual harassment over and over again. I used to work at Armour's Packing House when I was in high school, a teenager. My father wanted me to work, even though I was still in school. And on one occasion, these two guys I was working with got into an argument. And one of them spit in the face of the other man. So they decided that they would finish this discussion after work. So we all gathered around and I saw a very vicious fight between these two individuals who lost control. Well, the lesson I learned is this. Never spit in another man's face unless his mustache is on fire. <laughs> now I know I'm silly. I'm, that's what I am. I'm partly silly. But our culture is so dominated with violence Murder, mayhem, and madness fill the news every day. People have no control of themselves. What makes us so angry, so mad all the time? Uncontrolled anger has become perhaps the number one mental issue. We must remember, you are in charge of you. You have no control over the behavior of someone else, but you have infinite control over how you react to that behavior. Oh, I failed in that category so many times. So many times. An ounce of thought is worth a ton of regret. And that ounce of thought must be, young people especially, consequential thinking. Think of the consequences before you act or before you speak. A moment of uncontrolled anger can result in a thousand nights in hell. People do not have control. I was reading the other day. This man was going through a bitter divorce, so he deliberately fed his wife's cat laxative so the cat would mess up the brand new white carpet all over the house. One time when I was selling real estate, I sold a house in the wintertime. I listed it in the wintertime, sold it in the springtime, and the people moved into it and said, this house has a terrible odor in it. Somebody must be dead here. I sent my exterminator out to the house and he found the problem. The other people were so disgruntled they took all the meat out of their freezer and threw it up in the attic and it rotted. And it was a terrible mess. People do dumb things. A four-year-old boy was killed not too long ago because of road rage between two men. Uncontrolled anger. Well, the next thing I've learned in life is to accept myself, to accept what I cannot change. I've always struggled with the complex of inferiority. This guy went to a psychiatrist suffering from the same thing and the 
psychiatrist gave him a battery of tests. Came back three days later and said, well, doctor, what's the problem? What is the solution here? He said, well, you really are inferior. <laughs> I have struggled with low self-esteem and shyness all my life. And part of this was because I lost my hair when I was about 14 years old. When I met Jackie in speech class in high school, she thought I was a 30-year-old veteran returning from the service to finish my education. I was 18 years old. Well, I've always been painfully aware of my limitations. I've never had too big a problem with arrogance. In my journey, I realized I could never live up to the high ideals of God. I tried. But in my journey, I learned a much greater truth that I don't have to live up to them because of God's grace. Because of His grace. God's expectations of us are not beyond our reach. He expects us to believe in Him and He has given enough evidence to establish that faith. That's His work. This is the work of God, that you believe in the One He has sent. And that's what God expects of us. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, the commandments I give you, God is speaking through Moses, are not too difficult for you. They're not beyond your reach. You don't have to go up to heaven or across the ocean. They're near you, in your mouth, in your heart. And Paul uses the same passage when referring to the Gospel. It's within us. Well, I've had to reconcile myself <clears throat> to my inevitable shortcomings, blunders, and mistakes. And you're looking at the person who committed perhaps the greatest blunder in the history of preaching. On a Sunday morning, I had been preaching a series on parables. And this particular Sunday, it was a parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And so I was kind of scolding the congregation a little bit. And I said, we need workers in the vineyard. We need people that will go out and pick up the hose and work in the vineyards. Not just pluck the grapes. I said, what this church needs is more whores and less grape eaters. H-O-E-R-S. <laughs> you just can't say that any other way. Trying to think if that's the only amen I ever got in a church. <laughs> anyway, my wife, bless her heart, she just nearly melted under the pew. The others were in a different state. Maybe they understood the context. I don't know. But what a blunder that was. I was working for a small church in Fort Worth, <coughs> the, Everman, uh, the Eastland Street Church of Christ. And that's where I met John's mother, his grandmother, his aunt and his uncle. Wonderful people. And his uncle Ron Enos, young man that I just dearly loved so much. He had been going to preacher training school. He wanted to be a minister. Had a beautiful family. Sweetest nature. I just loved him to death. Well, after he graduated, he got an appointment for a little church in South Texas. 
he needed material. So I took every sermon outline I had to my attorney's office, had them copy it all off, give to him for material. And before he left, he said, Dennis, would you give me just one word of advice, just one word that I can take with me? Well, the word that I thought of was what I needed so desperately to accept yourself. So I gave him the word acceptance. Accept yourself as you are, others as they are, and the world as God created it. Often worried because he didn't last too long down there and I feared it was because he was preaching my sermons. I have learned to accept myself. I've learned to see people, all people, as bearers of God's image. Regardless of the differences that we have, this helps us to have a greater tolerance for people, not make snap judgments of other people. I'm not here to judge people. I'm here to love people. And whenever we set some kind of a criteria, when we inject our prejudices, the differences we have, that defeats that purpose. Working in Christian services, we must constantly disregard the appearances and first impressions. I had my daughter paint a sign we hung up in there. True compassion sees the need, not the cause. And true compassion sees the image of God in every person that comes in there. I've learned to trust God. I've always felt God's presence in my life in subtle, dramatic ways. Not dramatic way, not overly dramatic, but I felt His presence. There are two events in my life that arouse my suspicions about God's intervention in them. Two events. One of them saved my life. The other one changed my life. I was working at Armour's Packing House. Working for the laboratory. On the weekend. No one was in the plant but two people. Myself and the night watchman. My job was to spray this chemical substance on the meat. hate to tell you all that, but this happened back in the 40s. And in so doing, I had to go up and down the elevator. And these old elevators and that old plant would get stuck every now and then, and I, I knew how to untrip it. On this one occasion, the elevator got stuck, and I grabbed the first thing I could think of and was approaching the elevator, and all of a sudden, a voice screamed out, Stop! I was within inches and seconds of instant death by electrocution. I picked up a metal rod to trip the elevator with. It should have had a wooden rod in the elevator. Saved my life that day. He came out of nowhere. This was a big plant. Kept at 32 degrees, the whole thing. So close. The other event was an inexplicable time whenever I went back to the high school I graduated from. I don't know why I went back. I don't know why I was standing where I was standing in this big high school. And all of a sudden, who walks down the steps but Jackie? And we renewed our friendship and we've been walking together 
66 years. Now, God's intervention. My motivation to preach and to teach came from the magnetism of God's Word. I wasn't tapped on the shoulder by God and told to preach. I never felt that call. I felt the invisible reins. I felt some kind of an impulse pulling me to do what I had never planned to do. When Jackie married me, she never had any intentions of being a preacher's wife. Public speaking wasn't the last thing I wanted to do. It wasn't even on the list. I don't like to public speak. And very few people do. But that's the only way I could communicate the power and of this majestic message. I wanted to share it with people. One time Jimmy asked me if I would go to some churches and make an announcement. Only time I turned him down, I said, no. I will never get up here and make an I don't like public speaking. But how else can you preach the Word without being public about it? Jerry Seinfeld, a comedian, said, the greatest fear of most people is public speaking. The second is death. So if you have to go to a funeral, it's better to be the corpse than the one giving the eulogy. I've learned how little I know. I've struggled. I've always had a hungry mind. I've struggled to learn, but I've learned a lot of what I have been taught was not entirely true. It takes a considerable amount of knowledge to realize the full extent of your own ignorance. All of us are shaped by what we experience in our life's journey. We're affected by it psychologically, Mentally, spiritually, socially, everywhere. If you want to know where someone's coming from, let me tell you where they're coming from. They're coming from their experiences in this life. One experience changed my thinking, my attitude dramatically. In fact, it put a great big crack in the concrete of my conception of our brotherhood. I was called back to a church to work after they had initiated a building program, they floated $125,000 in bonds. The program was started. The builder decided he wanted to help us out. He wanted to buy $40,000 worth of these bonds. The church leaders turned them over to him. He was building the building. These are negotiable instruments. And he turned them over to a third party. And to make a long story short, we lost forty. Back in the 60s, that was like a half a million dollars. We struggled. Got the building 80% complete. How are we going to finish it? I decided to write 10 letters to 10 of the largest churches in the Fort Worth area. Not asking for a gift, asking for a loan of $2,500 to help us finish this building. I got one response back. Just one and that response was, we could have told you that so-and-so was a crook. How sad. I don't know how I did it, but I was able to float another $20,000 worth of bonds. They were toxic now. And we finished the building. But, 
I was bitterly disillusioned. My disgust was overwhelming. Churches claim to have the truth, claim to have some kind of a sanctimonious spiritual superiority to other people. Jesus' disgust for the self-righteous was evident. His most blistering denunciations was against the hypocrites. I was very upset. They thought that they were right. Everybody else was in error. So did the church at Laodicea. Jesus wrote this letter to him. He said, you say that you're rich. Let me tell you your true condition. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We did not. I came to this sad conclusion. We did not have a brotherhood. We had a group of autonomous churches whose charity did not extend beyond their own walls. After the building was finished, one of these elders of the church, I offered to go to each of these churches and make a plea. Well, the church that I grew up in, they couldn't help, but when the building was finished, one of the elders comes running out to get the insurance on it. Another leader in another big congregation bought our bonds at 15% discount when he knew that was something was wrong. Anyway, I've learned that if God's grace can cover my sins, it can cover the sins of others. And unmitigated arrogance and pompous self-righteousness is something that has hindered the Gospel of Christ so much. Somebody said there's so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us that it little behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. Isaiah 66 and verse 2, This is the one I esteem, says God. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at My Word. Our approach to God better be in humility. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you, Joe. The importance of making good decisions. That's the next lesson I've learned in life. Oh, how crucial this is. The greatest gift, the greatest power that God has given each one of you is the power to choose. He's given you a sovereignty of will. You're responsible for you. If it is to be, it's up to me. And by that great ability God has given us, our emotions of love can be genuine. Our glorification of God can be real. We're not puppets on some celestial string. We're not some robots walking around. We're not machines. We're creatures made in the image of God with the sovereignty of will, the ability to choose. And it is in those moments of decision that we determine our destiny. Certainly not by the genes in your body or the environment of your youth or the deprivation of your childhood or the position of the planets at your birth. You are the one. The greatest power that you have is to make decisions. Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. says, God, therefore, choose life. Choose life that you may live. Is your life a wreck? Who's driving the car? 
Are you in a horrible mood? What toxic thoughts did you just dump into your brain? Are you being mistreated? What did you choose to say or do to them? In Christian services, we see the tragic consequences of bad choices every day. But we also see the consequences of misfortune, life-changing illness, accidents, broken homes, broken promises, cuts in food stamps. Not everybody that comes through those doors is some kind of a druggie or an alcoholic. Misfortune strikes. I've also seen validation in God's Word, God's truth repeatedly. In my journey, I've seen lives changed. I had a very dear friend. He was rough around the edges. I didn't know him at this stage in his life. He used to go to bars and get into fights. And this one occasion... He got into a fight with this guy, and the guy pulled a gun on him. And he told me, he said, I didn't care if he shot me or not. And then he met Martha. And then he met God. He became one of the most powerful preachers I've ever heard on the West Coast. They gave up everything went to Abilene Christian College. Amazing. The changes I have seen over and over again. God's Word has been validated. I have experienced firsthand the benefits of following your conscience, following good judgment, being careful who you associate with. When I was in high school, I was running around with these guys and we decided to go out one day and shoot shoot our 22s in the woods and so forth. I came back and I told my friend, I said, I don't know about you, but I'm not ever going anywhere else with this guy, D.A. Simmons. And he said, I think you're right. He's kind of dangerous to be around. Wasn't too long after that, this man stole his father's car, drove down to Mexico, and was guilty of killing two women down there, put in sentence to life in a Mexican jail, Friends at the high school used to go down and visit D.A. They thought he was innocent and so forth. Well, they had gone conjugal rights in Mexico and he married a Mexican woman, convinced her to smuggle in some female clothes. He dressed up like a woman and escaped from the jail. They made a movie about it. That's the guy I ran around with. He crossed the border into Texas, lasted three months, and then was killed in a bar fight. D.A. Simmons. The longest book in the Bible begins with the first beatitude. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the company of sinners or sit with the scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in His law does He meditate both day and night. Jesus promised us an abundant life. Let me testify to you, I have had it. And I am enjoying it now. It comes from a relationship with God. It doesn't come from having any abundant possessions or outstanding accomplishments, because I don't have any of that. It is not based on what happens to you. It's based on what happens within you. Not what you have, what you do, or what you know. It's who you are. 
One who bears the image of His Creator. Something else I've learned, I've learned the value of physical exercise. I walk 60 miles a month on purpose. Been doing it for years. Used to work out at the health club with Rod Mays, bless his heart. I miss that man. I'd always see him here at church. I'd say, Rod, did you do a little extra for me because I wasn't going any longer? He always said, yes, he was. There's a neurologist I just read about a couple of days ago said 90% of the brain stimulation comes from the movement of the spine. And it moves whenever you move. You know, you walk. I need all the brain stimulation I can get. I walked two miles this morning before I came up here. Well, I've learned also that of all the things you wear, your expression is the most important. You don't have any control over your face, how it looks, the shape of your nose. But you have all the power in the world over the expressions you put on your face. And did you know that you write your thoughts on your face? I'm always drawn to people that come through these doors over here in Christian services with a smile on their face or optimism in their face. You're drawn to that. Of all the thoughts that you think, I have learned that the positive self-affirming ones are the most important and valuable for your own well-being and that the greatest gift you can ever give yourself in life, please remember this, the greatest gift is continuous, pleasant, positive, self-affirming, faith-building thoughts. Don't allow the toxic, poisonous thoughts to disrupt your life and your happiness and your mood. Emerson said, your own mind is a sacred enclosure into which nothing harmful can enter except by your own promotion. Promotion. I've also learned that of all the words you speak, the words of kindness and encouragement and gratitude to others are the most important. The most important. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver said the writer of Proverbs 25.11. Isn't that beautiful? Words of encouragement. I couldn't be up here doing this if it hadn't been words of encouragement from my wife, from you. Couldn't do it. Words of kindness. Oh, we have such power. The power of life and death in our own tongues. Gratitude. Express gratitude. Of all the emotions you have, love is preeminent. Victor Hugo said the supreme happiness of life is the conviction that we are loved. God has made that very clear to us, that we are loved. Of all the struggles, suffering, pain, and loss you have to endure in this life, just remember they're only temporary. And they serve to magnify your joy in heaven. Jesus said a very curious thing when He commanded John to write this letter to the church at Smyrna. Very curious. Very curious thing. Listen to what He said. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Don't be afraid of it. 
Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Of all the things you know, the most vital is knowing God in a redemptive relationship in Christ. Jeremiah said, don't let the wise man boast about what he knows or the strong man about his strength or the rich man about his wealth. If you're going to boast about anything, boast in this, that you know me, that I am the Lord who exercises justice, mercy, and loving kindness in this world. Of all the choices you make in life, to live your life in the awareness of God's will, acknowledging Him every step of the way, with gratitude, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ will be the most rewarding. It'll be the most rewarding. The labor in the Lord, Paul wrote, is not in vain. It's not in vain. So, growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. You can stay immature indefinitely, but you're not going to be as happy that way. Well, that's what I've learned. That's my story. And I'm sticking with it. That's it. Don't live a life you'll look back on with regret. Do your best. God will do the rest. If there's any way we can help you this morning in your journey, we stand ready to do that. Let's stand and sing. I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd.